Every one of those dots is a church, but they're just buildings. When did church become synonymous with buildings instead of people? When did church become something we go to, worship in, and then leave? Take away every church building in the world and the church will remain unchanged. Church is people. We see church every day, everywhere, and don't even know it. We see it in unexpected acts of kindness, in small moments of service and love. We see church in welcoming smiles, but also in grimaces of pain, burdens that are borne by friends. The real church is rarely flashy or eye-catching. What if we saw a church for what it is? What if we dreamt about the kind of church that we could be together? Let's talk about the church that we want to be, the church that God is calling us to be. When I look at us, I see past the buildings. I see a church. Good morning, Seacoast. Great to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here and excited about what's going to happen with us this weekend. We love to start all of our services off by welcoming those of you that are joining us at one of our campuses or maybe on the internet. Definitely want to give a shout out to the McClellanville campus. I love our McClellanville campus. It's in a a town of about 400 people, uh, just about 45 minutes north of Mount Pleasant. And uh, two weeks ago, they baptized 11 people at the McClellanville campus, which I thought was really cool. Um, Yeah, let's give it up for McClellanville. And uh, speaking of baptism, a lot of our campuses are doing baptisms today, and so if you haven't been baptized, that might be a cool next step for you to take, and you can find out more about that at your campus. Also want to shout out to our West Campus, Ron Hamilton. It's your birthday today, man. Happy birthday. We love you, and uh, excited about what God's doing uh, at all of our campuses here at Seacoast, and we're glad that you're here, those of you who are on site here or in the chapel as well. I want to give you a quick update uh, on our church planting. If you're new to Seacoast, we are part of a church planting movement called the Association of Related Churches. In the last two weeks, we've planted 24 churches uh, just in the past two weekends. And then this weekend, we're planting 12 brand new churches across the country. So I wanted to show you where they are. Uh, we've got churches in, uh, is it, what's MI? Is that Mississippi or Mi- Michigan? That's right, Michigan, <laughs> Alabama. Connecticut, Louisiana, Virginia, Wisconsin, New Mexico, Canada, Florida, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Mississippi. So uh, take a look at those locations. If you have friends or loved ones that live in those areas, there are 12 brand new life-giving churches that are getting ready to plant as we speak right now. They're probably starting their first services. So why don't we take a minute and pray for them uh, while we get started. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing in your church around the, around the world, God. And uh, we just celebrate what you're doing through the ark and we celebrate these 12 church plants right now, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill each of those pastors with your uh, power and your presence, Lord, to communicate a life-giving message. We pray for the people in those communities, God, who might be uh, broken or hurting or struggling in some area of their life right now. We pray that you would draw them to these churches so they can experience new life in you. God, we thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, last but not least, God, we, uh, I, as a Clemson fan, I just repent for what happened last night and pray that you would uh, just not, not hold us responsible. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are glad that our identity doesn't have to be wrapped up in how 18-year-olds play football? I'm just reminding myself of that today. Hey, uh, have you guys ever noticed that the bigger something gets, the more problems it tends to have? You guys ever notice that? Things get bigger and it's just more opportunities for stuff to go wrong. I don't know if you've uh, been like me where maybe you find a new restaurant 
in a town and you go and it's small and the food is great and uh, it's personal. The chef comes out and says, hey, you know, you meet them and, and it becomes a favorite of yours. And, but then sometimes those restaurants gain in popularity, right? And so now all of a sudden there's tons of people coming and there's a line, you have to call ahead to get in and maybe they have locations around so their wait staff kind of gets spread out. You don't know them anymore. It's a little bit less personal. Food is still good, but it just doesn't quite feel the same. You know, we love to hate on things when they get bigger. Walmart's the best example, right? I mean, you can get stuff at Walmart for cheaper than you can get anywhere else, but, but we just want to go there because it's, it's too big and, and it just represents big. And the bigger things get, just the more problems that they tend to have. A few years ago, my son Miles, he was four at the time, and uh, we were driving to church one day. And he goes to school at another church here in the community, great church, smaller uh, deal. And, and so um, we, we were on our way to church, and he said, Dad, where are we going? I said, we're going to church, buddy. And he goes, oh, cool. Are we, going to, are we going to the church that I go to school in? Or are we going to that great, big, giant church that we go to on the weekends? It's like, oh, you're right. I don't like the way that sounds. I'm not sure I, I, I like the way that that sounds. Because when I grew up at Seacoast, I, I, I was, I've been here from the beginning, uh, and I remember Seacoast being a small church. We had one service, about 200 people, and, and we knew everybody. And, and then over time, the church began to grow. And obviously, we're grateful for that because it means that people's lives are being changed. Uh, but, but I thought, I don't know how I feel about that great, big, giant church. I don't know if that's the experience that I want my son to have. The, the, the church is just this great, big building and all these people. And it's, I, it just kind of landed on me weird because as much as I'm grateful for church growing really isn't isn't church about relationships? It's about knowing people. And so I went to our staff that week and I, I kind of told them the story. It was like, man, Miles called it a, a great big giant church. And, and so we kind of resolved together, talked about it. We're like, you know what? As much as it depends on us, we're gonna do everything we can to, to, to make it a great big giant little church. That's our goal. And, and we're in a series right now called I See a Church. And really, honestly, this is so much more than, than a series to me. This is a chance for us to, to recast our values, to talk about what, what kind of church do we see God building here at Seacoast? What kind of church do we want to be? Well, what's important? In the first week, Pastor Greg just laid out the question, why, why church? You know, is church even really that important anymore? In this culture, in today's day, should, should we? And if you missed that, I'd encourage you to check that out. Then last week, he, he laid out what I would say is probably the most important value. We didn't do them in order of importance, but, but, but he's, we see a church that's marked by the power and the presence of God. And I would say that's the most important thing because if God's presence isn't with us in this building and the buildings we gather in, but then also during the week, then we might as well just do something else because we're just playing church. We need to experience God's power and his presence. But this week, uh, we're going to talk about the fact that we see a church that grows smaller as it grows larger. What, what does that mean? Church that grows smaller, do, are we wanting to run people off? Uh, no, no we, we see a church that isn't just defined by great sermons or great music on the weekends or a big environment that we gather in on the weekends, but we see a church that we, we, my prayer for our church is that when you think about Seacoast, it's not this big, great big giant thing. It's, it's people, it's friends, it's relationships, it's people that you love, that you connect with. We see a church that's a great big giant little church. It grows smaller as it grows larger. Yeah, I'm so grateful that Seacoast has grown larger. 
uh, because I know a lot of your stories and I know a lot of uh, the, the people represent stories and people's lives that have been changed and so many of us came in here uh, just hurting and, and broken and, and some of us still are, but we, we found hope in Christ and I, I thank God for that and I love the fact that we're a part of a church that has been able to plant 36 churches in the last three weeks. I mean, representing thousands of people and great children's ministry uh, opportunities and programs and all that stuff. There's so many good things that comes with, with growth. But man, if, if we're going to see a church that, that grows smaller as it grows larger, we're going to have to focus on relationships. I often joke with people when they come in to learn about Seacoast, I'm like, we're, we're an accidental megachurch. We really are. That was never the goal. Uh, we never aspired to, to be some big church. It just kind of has happened. But what we've always wanted was to be good at relationships, to love people, to love each other, to live well. And, and that's, that's what we want to do. Relationships shape us. How many of you agree we are who we are because of the relationships that, that are around us? And, and, and as you know, we're very connected in our society right now, more than we've ever been but we're also more alone and isolated than we've ever been. In fact, I did a lot of research this week and want to kind of update you on the state of America as it relates to isolation and, and relationships. Did you know that Americans are more likely to live alone than any other nationality on the planet? So in, in the States, we live alone at a higher rate than anybody else on the planet. And not, not only that, but uh, studies are showing that we're, we're some of the most socially isolated people on planet Earth. So I'm wondering why. And, and if you study it, you find out that uh, we're not only more likely to live alone, but we, we also are more likely to move away from our families than any other people group on the planet. And many of you have experienced that where you kind of go to college and move away. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's just the reality. We're more likely to move away from our families than any other country in the world. And we're also more likely to move more frequently and to further distances. So we tend to kind of have, have long distances from kind of our home uh, family base. And even when we plant ourselves, we commute. Uh, we commute more than anybody to go to work. We drive longer distances. We work longer hours than anybody else on the planet. And, and, and so, so we've moved away. Uh, we've moved often. And, and we, we live somewhat socially isolated. You know, the stats that I read said that we participate in more socially isolating experiences than almost any other nation in there. What, what does that mean? That means when we eat dinner together, we stare at our phones, right? You know, or, or we'll gather together around a TV or around and things that just kind of are barriers for authentic connection. And some of you are going, Josh, I'm an introvert. That's why I love this country. It's awesome. <laughs> love being alone. And that's, that's cool. I mean, uh, we're all wired differently. Some of us are more introverted. Some of us are more extroverted. But the reality is, is that when we are isolated, which has nothing to do with our temperament, but when we live isolated lives, the stats say that we're, we're more likely to get sick more often. We're more likely to die younger uh, when we live isolated lives. Uh, we also, uh, the statistical odds of our happiness drop. I mean, they, they pretty much wither up and die if we live our lives in isolation. And then this was interesting to me. Both crime rates and violence tend to increase in direct proportion to a society's relational isolation. So, so not only do we die earlier and our happiness you know, kind of plummets, but, but we're likely to be more violent if, if we live in social isolation. So you may be like, you know what, Josh, I, I like it. I like being alone. I don't like hanging out with much friends. Maybe you're a workaholic, that's fine. But just know that it's a perfect recipe for being dead, depressed, and violent. So 
Obviously, we need relationships. Relationships are so important. That's why at Seacoast, we want to be a church that always feels smaller, grows smaller as we grow larger. Look at Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 8. It says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So it describes an individual without a brother, without a sister. It says, there, there's no end to his work, yet he can't really enjoy the fruits of his labor. There, there, there's no joy in, in his wealth. So my goal as we kind of spend the next few minutes together is just to, to, to maybe convince some of you uh, that, that there's a better way to live, that there's a better way to live in, in friendship and connection with other people. But, but I know we've all got reasons. We've all got excuses, right? I mean, things that kind of get in the way. And, and I want to acknowledge a couple of those, some of the reasons that we tend to avoid relationships. Uh, the first one is a lot of us would just say, we don't need them. We don't need them. Uh, that's the first fill in the blank. As you fill that in, go ahead and cross it off because I just told you statistically we do need them. Uh, but, but you know, guys, we, we tend to be like this, right? We're like, we're fine. We don't need people. We don't need relationships. There's a story of Muhammad Ali uh, who obviously was an incredible boxer and a great soundbite. Uh, Muhammad Ali was on an airplane one day and he refused to buckle up his seatbelt. And so the flight attendant comes up to him and says, uh, sir, uh, I need you to buckle your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali looks up at this flight attendant and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant looks back at Muhammad Ali and says, Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle up your seatbelt, all right? I like that. A lot of us, we think we're Superman. We don't need it. We're good. We need relationships. We do. Some of us would say, you know what, and we hit it on it already a little bit, but it's not my temperament. It's just not my temperament to, to live in community with other people. Man, I'm, I'm an introvert, and it's easy for you to get up there, Josh, you're an extrovert, and you like being around people, and uh, it's just not how I'm wired. And, and man, relationships can be awkward, and they can be hard, and, and I would just tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need friends. You know, for some of you who are more introverted, it may be a smaller number of friends, but man, we've got to live our lives in community. Our temperament is not an excuse. And a lot of people who are like me, extroverted, we just use an excuse of being around a lot of people to make us think that we've got good relationships, but we're, we're often not great at kind of digging a little bit deeper and having meaningful relationships in our lives. So not, not a valid excuse. Another one, and, and I want to talk to a lot of you who are here, you're at our campuses, and you're maybe new to church or you're not even sure why you're here, and, and the barrier for you is that you're afraid of weird Christians, right? I mean... Let me break it to you. Christians can be weird. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. I've got some stories just from this week. I'll spare them. But, but we can just be weird. We, we can act weird. And so I know you're thinking, I know what he wants. He wants me to go to a small group and I'm gonna show up and, and there's gonna be you know, a circle of chairs in the living room and there's gonna be one chair in the middle and that's, that's my chair, right? And, and they're gonna ask me to confess all my sins and tell all my secrets and then they're all gonna lay hands on me and cast the devil out of me and you know exorcism crosses it's because I don't want to do that I don't have time for that you know they'll be drinking Kool-Aid at the end going hey let's all connect you know and, and I get that I, let me just tell you that is not what you're going to experience at a Seacoast small group if it is you need to let us know we will fire that small group leader so fast Here's, here's the truth, the reality here at Seacoast, the kind of church that you have found yourself in, if you just kind of look down your row, uh, we all have issues, okay? No one, is, no, one, no one is holier than thou, no one is better. We all have issues at Seacoast. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you have issues. Yeah, that's right. 
Some of you are going, I, 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 don't, I don't have issues. I don't, I don't have issues. If you don't have issues, that is your issue. You just don't know about, we all know about your issues. You just don't know about them. So, so let's just quit playing church. Let's quit getting together and acting like everything's great, you know, and not that we all have to be down all the time, but we just acknowledge we're aware. We got issues. We got stuff going on. And, and if you go to a small group, if you really commit to, to doing life in community with, with friends, what you're going to find is that as you start to share some of your stuff, uh, you're going to realize other people go, I got that. Uh, oh, you, you struggle with anger? You're frustrated? I, I, I've got that. You know, you, you sometimes, you know, you know, say things to your kids that you wish, I, I've done that, man, I've struggled with that. And there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that uh, Adam Martin, one of our pastors, shared earlier this summer. I loved it, loved it. He, he said, friendship is born when one person says to another, me too, me too. And, and so maybe you're afraid of, of those weird Christians. That, that's not gonna be the experience that you have here at Seacoast. A fourth one that uh, a lot of us have, I know I use this one quite a bit, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I, I know relationships are important, but man, I just, things are going breakneck speed, man, just busy. Don't have a lot of time for, for relationships in my life. And I'll tell you, I can relate to that. I mean, even this week, uh, this week I, I kind of woke up on Monday morning knowing that the most important priority that I had on my calendar was to write a message for, for this weekend's uh, service. You know, when you're getting up in front of, you know, 12, 13,000 people, it's important that you have something to say, that you've prayed, that you've kind of ready to go. And so I had a few, you know, blocks on my calendar that I blocked out to, to study uh, for the message. And uh, one of them was Monday morning. And so I went for a run early in the morning. And uh, as I was getting ready to get in my house, I bumped into a neighbor of mine, a uh, good friend. And we're, we just kind of talked for a little bit, talked about the yard. And, and then we had kind of a cool God moment in, in our conversation where just God showed up and, and we kind of broke through some some barriers and we just connected and, and, and it was just, it was cool. I feel like, man, awesome opportunity to, to build relationship and thought, God, that was a great reminder. I'm talking about relationship. Thank you for that. And then I was getting ready to go, go come into the office to study and got a, a phone call from another friend of mine. And he said, hey, hey Josh, um, I may or may not be on my way to go kill somebody right now. Do you have a minute that I can talk to you? Like, wait, are you gonna kill me or somebody else? Uh, all right, I can do it. I, I can talk. I can make time for that. And so, you know, just whatever, just having a a tough day and, and frustrated. And so we just connected and it was great. And, um, and then, then that block of time was done. Didn't get a chance to write a message, no big deal. Next morning, said, I'm gonna go to a coffee shop, kind of uh, get, get off the beaten path a little bit. And I got into this coffee shop and two hours after I got to this coffee shop, I had yet to open up my computer. Uh, and just because old friend, I run into old friend, I run into some of you guys and just connect and it's great. And then a pastor friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a couple of years pops in. And so we connect for a while. And finally, I just popped my computer back into my, my bag and, and, and left because it just wasn't gonna happen. And uh, th so the next morning I was like, I'm gonna study from home. I'm not leaving the house. I'm just gonna study from home. I went out to get something out of my car and a neighbor walks by. I'd never met him before, brand new to the neighborhood. We strike up a conversation. He's Catholic, super guy, and we're connected. And an hour later, uh, we're talking about maybe starting a small group in the neighborhood for guys. We're like, this would be cool, yeah. So I come in and my stress level is rising. And I'm like, God, do you not know that I have to preach a message on relationships? Could you please quit bothering me with all these relationships? I'm trying to get some stuff done. I'm too busy, too busy. We can all relate to that. I mean, life is hectic. We live a pretty fast pace these days. But we need each other. We need relationships. You, you know, First Peter, don't just take my word for it, First Peter 4, 7 through 9. I love this verse. Uh, he, he says, he starts, he says, the end of all things is at hand, which is kind of a 
strange way to start a verse when we're talking about relationships, but he says, hey, the end is near. Uh, the signs are, 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 sh- are showing, and, and I would say more, more than any time in history, that verse is probably relevant to us if you kind of look around. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Then in verse 8, it says, above all, let me stop there for a minute. All of scripture is important. If you're reading the Bible, it's good that you kind of pay attention. How many of you agree when it says above all, that's a good place you want to kind of lock in? What, what, what is he saying here? Especially when the sentence before it talked about the end times. Like, so above all, more important than anything else, what? Listen to great sermons. No. No, what he said. He, he said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Above all, more important than anything else, love each other. Spend time with people. Have people in your lives. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? We, we, we make up stories and lie on each other's behalf? No. What it means is we will get ourselves into trouble. We will do stupid things if we live our lives alone. If, if we're not connected with other believers, then we're going to make mistakes and love is going to kind of help us get through those mistakes, but it's also going to help us not make the same ones multiple times. He said, love each other, love each other, love each other, love each other. So we acknowledge at Seacoast, it's a large church. Uh, there are a lot of campuses, there are a lot of people, but we also acknowledge that every one of us was born with a need to connect, to, to have loving relationships with each other. And guess what? I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. I don't think the fact that we are a large church means we can't have good relationships. In fact, there have been studies done that say church size has nothing to do with the quality of the relationships in the church. And, and I think we're, we're doing a good job with that. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna take the next couple of minutes and just process with you a couple of decisions that we're gonna need to make. Some of us will need to make all four of them. Some of us are just one or two that are really gonna stand out and go, man, that's what I need to do today. If I'm gonna make a large church feel small, I'm gonna have to do some things. The first one is, I have to invest heavily in my important relationships. Invest heavily in my important relationships. You know, some relationships are more important than others. Would you agree with that? I mean, for example, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm a son. I mean, there's some relationships that that are very important. I need to give them my attention. And and here's what I know about relationships. They They never stay where you left them. You, know, you, you can work hard on a relationship and leave it there. They don't ever stay there. They always kind of tend to drift backwards. So we have to invest, especially in the, the close ones, the important relationships take investment. I remember when I got married, uh, Lisa and I had been married for a couple of months and Sam and Joan Lesky, who were up at our Dream Center, were kind of a mentor couple. And so we would get together with them. And I can remember getting together with them. And I, I had a list of things you know, in my head, that you know, issues that Lisa had that, that, that she needed help with. And I would wanna kind of work through those things. But Sammy, he would always frustrate me because he would go, hey, we'll, we'll get to that. But let me ask you, are you doing date night? Are you buying her flowers? Are you treating her well? Are you guys in a small group? And finally, I'd be like, Sammy, listen, dude, you can't simplify all of life to date night and small groups. I mean, it's just not that simple. But you know what I've learned? Sometimes it is. I mean, not that there aren't other issues, but a lot of times some of those are symptoms that we're just not investing in the relationships that really matter, the close ones the people that God has brought into our lives and, and called us to invest with certain friends that you just know, those were born, uh, kind of divine relationships in our lives. The other day, my car was driving kind of funny and wouldn't start right, and, um, and so I, I took it uh, 
took, just driving rough, took it to the, the shop and uh, told them about all the things that it was doing and some of the lights that were on. And they called me five minutes after I left and he said, Josh, um, we, we opened up the car and turns out there was actually not a drop of oil in your engine. And I said, oh, that stinks. Can you put some oil in it? Um, wh- what else? What else is going on? Uh, what about all these other? He said, nope, they were all oil. Just that's it. My father-in-law being the next service, I'm not sharing that, ser- that story during that service, by the way. But I was embarrassed, like, come on. Everyone knows that. You know, I just had neglected something important. And a lot of times in our relationships or in our lives, we got all these symptoms that we're worried about and all these things going on. But the reality is we just haven't been, we, we haven't been maintaining the, the relationships that God has put in our lives. You know, some of you are married. Uh, we've got a marriage conference that's coming up October 10th and 11th, about three weeks. Can I encourage you to make that investment to, to do it? You go, well, my marriage is okay. I don't know if I, that's even a better reason to make that investment. You know, we, we do a lot of marriage counseling around here and, and a lot of times w- when people come in to talk and I know I've been there, I've come in and, and it's like the pieces are scattered everywhere and it's like, can you help me put it back together? And we, we, we love being a part of that with you, but how cool would it be for, for people to come in to talk about their marriage and go, well, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. It's actually going okay, but I just want to—I just want to talk about it. I just want to invest in. It. I want to make make an, an investment in it. And if you're married, I'd encourage you to do it. You may be in Asheville and go, well, that marriage conference is five hours away. Get in a car and drive down here. Make that investment. It's worth it, sir. Can I ask you? Don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till it's too late. Invest in the important relationships. Press in. You, you know, let, let's go for it. It takes work. Ephesians four. Two and three says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What it's saying in that verse is, hey, bear, bear with one another. In other words, it's gonna, it's gonna take work. Make every effort. It's, it's gonna take an investment of our times. And there are important relationships that need investment. I'll brag on my dad for just a second because people sometimes will say, hey, why, uh, you know, because my dad's senior pastor at the church here. And uh, how is it that all four of the kids are, you know, love God and love each other and you guys seem to have good relationships with each other. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot of answers that you might think uh, we would give for that. First of all, dad would tell you um, there were many moments uh, in time that if you'd have taken a snapshot, then it didn't look very pretty. I know I was one that had a lot of time of just rebellion, but, but one thing that stood out to me, it wasn't that we had family devotionals every day. We didn't. I mean, we had them sometimes, but not, not all that consistently, and we, we were in church all the time, but here's the, the, big, the big difference maker for me is my dad invested in us. I'll never forget uh, the years I was a senior, junior, senior in, in high school, played basketball, and the church is growing rapidly during this, this time and every weekday, my dad at three o'clock was down at the gym coaching my, my basketball team. Now, don't get the wrong impression. He was not a very good coach and certainly did not know how to play basketball. <laughs> but, but he learned. I mean, he, he got some books. He was like, I'm going to study. I'm going to become a good coach because I, it's, a, it's an opportunity to spend time with my kids. I know he had a lot going on, but, but he, he did a good job of making an investment in, in the relationships that mattered. So before we go on to the next point, I just want to encourage you, maybe pull your outline sheet out and um, maybe there's been a name or two that have sort of popped into your head as we've talked about that, some important relationships that maybe you just haven't been investing in or you just, as a reminder, man, I need to, I need to, make, a te- I need to, I need to make a phone call or send a text or reach out and, and make an investment. Why don't you just jot those names down so that it's not just something that a fleeting thought, it's something that we actually follow up on and make those investments in some important 
relationships. The second thing that some of us need to do to make a large church small is some of us need to restore some broken relationships. We need to restore some broken relationships. I think uh, something I've observed in our culture, even in our church culture, is we tend to, to treat relationships as if they're disposable. You know, we go through a tough time, maybe a fight or uh, there's an offense and we just kind of move on. I'm going to another relationship. And, and not all relationships can be restored, but there are some that probably just need to be restored. The pain of unresolved conflict is always greater than the pain of resolving it. It always is. And, and, and there may be some of us here, there's a, there's a strained relationship. And can I just encourage you, Seacoast, if you can be part of this church, make every effort to restore. Look what it says in Romans 12. It says, do not repay anyone with evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge my dear friends. And I love that because it says, as far as it depends on you. In other words, it doesn't matter if they aren't coming. It doesn't matter if they're not playing the game with you. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You said, Josh, it's not that easy. You, you don't know my story. And, and you're right, I don't know your story. But it might be, it might be that simple. I didn't say easy, it might be that simple. You never know what, what an apology might do for a relationship. You never know what just deciding to forgive somebody might do for a relationship. So some of us, we just need to, to make the choice to restore some broken relationships. And again, there may be a name that pops up. You may wanna jot it down. Lord, would you give me some wisdom on, on how you want me to go about restoring this relationship? So we need to invest heavily in the important ones. We need to restore the broken ones. Some of us need to sever some harmful relationships. We just need to sever some harmful relationships. What, what, what do I mean by that? There's some of us that there's a relationship that you have right now that is taking you somewhere that you don't wanna go. It's, it's bringing, it's, it's, it's got you on a road to some heartache. Uh, that might be a flirtatious relationship with someone at work. It hadn't gotten too serious yet, but, but it's, it's, you, you can kind of tell you've emotionally connected in a way that's not healthy. For some, it may be an affair that you're involved in and, and it's kind of exciting right now, but, but the reality is it's gonna cause you some pain. Others of us, that's not quite the nature of it, but they're just some friends uh, that, that, that we've been spending a lot of time with, but the reality is, is that their values are, couldn't be further from, from yours. And, and the Bible talks a lot about sur- surrounding ourselves with wise people and the company of fools leads us to make foolish decisions. So what am I saying? You know, unfriend them? No, I'm not saying necessarily to call them and say, unfriended, you know, but, but you, may need to, you may need to think about how much time you're spending with people who are just totally uh, going another, another direction. I'm, I'm as evangelistic as they come. That's my number one core value strength. So I'm not saying to be rude, to separate yourself. I'm just saying that, that you need some relationships that are gonna help walk you in the right direction. Some of us may be dating or living with somebody and, and we're, we're about to maybe make a, a long-term commitment to somebody who, you know, you have a lot of fun together but on the important things in life, on the most important things, you don't see eye to eye on. I just say that might be one that you need to consider before you, you step into. Those of you that are married, this point does not apply to you, okay? Let's not misapply uh, that one. But, but some of us need to sever uh, some, some, bro- uh, some harmful relationships. And again, you may want to jot a name down and uh, you may want to pull out your phone and text them right now if, if that's what God's leading you to do. But there, there is probably some that we need to do that. But, but the last one, and I think all of us, 
need to do this, is some of us need to initiate some meaningful relationships. We just need to initiate some meaningful relationships. You never know when you're going to need them. You know, and this, this is where I would really kind of say, let's, let's drive it home because when we talk about seeing a church that grows smaller as it grows larger, what, what I'm talking about is a church where I can say, you know what, I got friends there that, that, that share my values and that, that, that I love doing life with. And you never know when you're going to need those relationships. A couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I walked, uh, we went down to the hospital and visited a friend who had been in the ER, not a real serious thing. Turned out it was just more of a scare. And we were getting ready to leave and, and I said, Lisa, I wanna just sit down in the, the waiting room for a minute. And my wife, you know, she's a PA and she's worked in the ER for a number of years. And she said, so you do realize that this is where all diseases kind of hang out is in the waiting room of an ER. Like, you know, you want pneumonia, this is where you can get it. You want Ebola, I mean, come on. So she's like, I don't wanna do that. And I'm like, just, I just, it wasn't like a spiritual thing necessarily. I just wanted to sit down in the waiting room. And, and so we sat down and about two minutes later, an old friend kind of walks around the corner named Trey, Trey Clark. Him and his wife, Stephanie, were in our small group for a number of years uh, here at Seacoast. They had moved away, and we kind of have stayed in touch a little bit, but lost, lost touch a little bit to some degree. And so we jumped up and said, hey, what's up, man? And it turned out that, uh, that things were not going well for them at all. They had a five-year-old boy uh, who they had just recently found out was an end-stage renal failure. Uh, his kidneys never grew from when he was a baby. And, and so they brought him in and they'd kind of been doing tests and uh, the, the, the doctors had kind of not quite figured it out yet. And they bring him in one day and the doctor said, finally, they identify the problem and say, I cannot believe he's alive. The only way that he's going to survive is if we have a transplant and, and soon. And so mom ends up having a, a match and was able to do a transplant. So they were in the hospital that day trying to figure out, A, if, if their son was going to live, and B, if they could get a, a surgery scheduled soon enough to, to save his life. And so I wanted Trey and Stephanie to kind of share a little bit of their experience with you. I was coming into the main lobby of the hospital and I looked over to uh, my right there and Josh and Lisa were sitting down in chairs and I actually saw Lisa first uh, and I saw her uh, kind of reading lips say, there's Trey. It was kind of refreshing to see a familiar face and to have them come in and Lisa said, what can I do? What can we do? Um, and at that time, we really didn't know. You don't know what you need when you're in that situation. My biggest concern was, you know, if something were to happen to myself or Eli, um, I didn't want Trey to be alone. I could only imagine the burden that would be on him and on his heart for his wife and his son to be in surgery at the same time. And so Josh said, <laughs> we're on it. We can do that. We've got that covered. Um, we can have people there praying and with Trey. We had to be at the hospital very early in the morning. Um, got Stephanie back into OR waiting and uh, um, people started coming in, um, family. And um, Josh and Lisa were there, pastors. Uh, Vance with Sunrise Presbyterian on Sullivan's Island was here. And one of the things that you know, I remember, and I always will, and cherish, it was not only the tears, uh, but the laughter. 
when I came out of surgery, um, what I remember was everybody talking about how many people were in the waiting room for Eli and I, for our family, for Trey, people who were there for other loved ones that day for surgery became kind of part of our crew rooting for us and by the time it was over um, the waiting room was just very involved with what was happening with Eli and I behind those doors. The Saturday following his surgery this little guy just got up and walked to the atrium to play and Poor mom, I was struggling behind him, but he was just going and his lab values, um, his doctors have actually termed his new kidney his super kidney and um, they're just amazed at how well he's doing. Our community has been amazing just from the meals that have been brought to our home, um, the people praying for us, the calls, you know, whenever we'd go to the hospital, um, the people who would show up to the hospital. Even now, if Trey and I go back to Seacoast, because we don't live there, but if we happen to be in town and we go in, we still know those familiar faces and it's just like seeing old friends, um, but no time has passed. You know, there's several cool things about that story. Uh, obviously, the, the most important being that little Eli's doing awesome. And, uh, you know, he's running around and God healed him. But, um, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, but what struck me um, and why I asked them to share it this weekend was when we were in the hospital with him and, and her talking about Trey and how she just didn't want him to wait in the waiting room alone. And it struck me because that's really my heart and my prayer for, for you, for, for me, for this church, that we would be a church where none of us have to wait in the waiting room alone. We're all going to have waiting rooms, right? I mean, whether it's a physical waiting room because of sickness, because of health-related stuff, uh, whether it's the waiting room of just going through the loss of a loved one, someone close to you, um, whether it's a financial struggle or maybe a, a, a relationship that's fallen apart or hurting, but we all go through waiting rooms. And, and as I thought about Trey and Stephanie, I thought, you know, uh, they could have never known about 12 years ago when they sat in a service very similar to the one you're in right now. And God kind of pricked their heart and said, you know what, you need to get connected. You, you need some solid friendships in your life. They could have never known what, what, what life would throw at them and, and the times that they would need it, the times that they would be there for others who had gone through it. And, and the reality is that story has nothing to do with us. We just happened to be in small group with them. And so, you know, when it came to like getting people in the waiting room, it was very easy to call Michael and Susan Antonelli and a number of other friends of ours who were in small group with us together and, and come and, and support and pray and, and be there with them. But what about you? you? You know, I'll go back to the phrase that Miles said at the beginning of, of the service. Is this a great big giant church for you? Is that really all it is? Is it a, is a big place where you come and, and it's nice and you feel good? when you leave, but, but it's just a great big giant place with a lot of faces that you don't really know anybody. Or will this be a great big giant little church? Will this church be defined for you by the people that you know, by the people that you love, by the relationships that you've invested in? Some of us need to initiate some new relationships. Might be a relationship with the church, 
Uh, maybe the big C church, the, the body of Christ, by getting baptized, that may be a great step to, to start a relationship with the church. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to do that today, if your campus is offering that. But, but also, that church would become not just as something that you go to, but, but, but a relationship that you have. You know, we've got Inside Track that's starting up at the next, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're finishing it this month. We do it every month at this campus. Most campuses, we do it all the time, but in October... Uh, where you can just go and initiate a relationship with the church. Commit to a church. Maybe it's not Seacoast. Maybe you're just kind of checking it out right now. And, and I'll tell you right now, if Seacoast didn't exist, there's probably 10 other churches in this community that I would go to. There's some great churches. Initiate a relationship. That's what I thought about with Trey and Stephanie. It wasn't just us. They've moved away from here. There were people from their current church. There are people who've decided we're just gonna have a relationship with people in our church. And, th- and that, that's a big deal. For a lot of us, it's a relationship with a small group. Uh, you've heard us talk about them before, and you know, you've heard even in this series, we've got small group curriculum that we're doing, but you've never really taken that step. It's never been something that you've done. And, and can I just tell you, it's gonna be awkward a little bit because you know, meeting new people can be awkward, but, but maybe that's a, a step that you need to take. And again, you can fill out that card that, that you got, the Connect card. We've got an option to check a box that says, uh, you know, I'd like information on small groups. Take it out to the Connect Center at your, your, your foyer, wherever you happen to be worshiping, and we'll connect you to a group. But for a lot of us, I f- feel strongly, especially during this service, at all of our campuses, there are a handful of people that we need to initiate a relationship with God. See, the best way for you to make a large church feel small is to establish a relationship with a God who up to this point, maybe for you has just been a, a distant thing, you know? Uh, it never has felt like a personal relationship, a God that, that actually loves you, that, that cares about you, that desires to, to, to be with you, to, to guide you, to lead you, to comfort you, to love you. Can I tell you that he does? He does so much that he, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. He, he sent his son Jesus to die so that he could bridge that gap that distance so that we could be connected and have a relationship with him. And all you have to do is go, you know what, God, I don't understand necessarily all the theology behind it, but what I do understand is that I'm a broken person and I've tried to do things my way and it's, it's not worked. And I wanna humbly receive Jesus. I wanna humbly receive the gift that you've given. And I wanna have a relationship with you. I wanna have peace with you. And if that's you, I just wanna encourage you, today is your day. Make that choice today. Don't wait for another time. Establish a relationship with God and watch what he does, the adventure that he sets you on, the the richness that he's gonna give you and the relationships that you connect with, with the people in the church. My prayer for our church is that we would be a church that grows smaller as it grows larger. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for just what you're doing even in this place right now. Lord, at all of our campuses, God, I sense that you are at work Lord, that your spirit has drawn us to yourself. So I just pray, Lord, that you would make it abundantly clear to every one of us, Lord, what you're calling us to do, what, 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 what you're impressing on us today. For some of us, it's to make an investment in some important relationships. Others of us, we, uh, we need to restore some things, God, uh, some, some relationships that are broken. Others, there's some dangerous relationships that we need to distance ourselves from, God, but I believe for all of us, Lord, you're drawing us to establish, to initiate some new relationships. 
for some of us, that's with you, God. And if that's you today, I just encourage you to, to take that step, to say yes to God. God, I pray, Lord, that as we do that, you would meet us here. Lord, that you would become so close, so personal, so small to each one of us. God, that we would know that we've got a friend in you. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.